We pray, Lord, sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. We thank you for sending us your word this morning. We ask you now to send us your Holy Spirit as we study and meditate upon your word. Fill us with faith and uh, fill us with confidence as we live for you in this world. Bless our sermon time today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Anxiety is by far the most common mental health issue in our society. Anxiety is something that it's estimated one in five American adults dealt with in this last year. Now, everybody deals with anxiety. Everybody's anxious about things. But just in the year 2023, one out of every five American adults was dealing with what would be called an anxiety disorder. So what is, like, what does anxiety feel like? First and foremost, anxiety could just simply be uh, worrying about stuff. Stuff in our life that uh, it's normal to worry about. Stuff in our life that's stressful. Work things or family things or stuff that's going on. It's racing through our head. It's occupying our mind. But the anxiety kicks in where we can't stop thinking about it. Where the anxious thoughts are swirling and swirling and swirling all over the place. Kind of like that glitter in the jar that we showed the kids, right? And it's swirling all over and we're not able to stop our worries. That can be what anxiety feels like. Another way that anxiety can feel like is that you get stuck imagining worst-case scenarios. So it could be a worst-case scenario that has nothing to do with your life right now. It could be just the thought of, what if I have cancer? Or what if I get murdered? Or what if after I die, even though I know about Jesus, like what if after I die... God still decides to, to send me to hell. It would be some kind of a uh, drastic, worst-case scenario of thought, and anxiety can feel like where whatever reason you have this thought, and then it starts to become an every-week thought, and an every-day thought, and an every-hour thought, and you're stuck on this thought, you can't get away from it. You're kind of obsessed with this worst-case scenario. That's what anxiety can feel like. Um, one other way that anxiety can feel is it can be a physical or physiological reaction. Uh, kind of like imagine your body is getting kicked into fight or flight mode. Um, your body is doing what it would be doing if you're trapped in a small room with a large, hungry Bengal tiger. Um, your heart is pounding. Your palms are sweaty. You're shaking. Your muscles are tight. And there's, there's no tiger in the room with you. You know there's no tiger in the room with you. You're sitting in your chair at home. There's nothing to be afraid of, but your body's still doing it. Right? You can't stop your body from having this kind of an anxious crisis response. That can be what anxiety feels like. And it can feel a lot of different ways. But one thing that I think we would all agree on is anxiety is not very fun. Now, I'm not a mental health expert. Uh, I'm a pastor. But I've read some staggering statistics, especially coming in the post-pandemic era, and if the statistics that I've read are anything close to accurate, then it's likely that there are a good number of you here today who have suffered or who, who are dealing with some kind of an anxiety. And if you haven't in the past, that maybe it's likely that you will in the future. And for those of you that this, this just isn't your struggle, 
infinite of your struggles. It is absolutely certain that there are people in your life for whom this is the struggle. Anxiety is a big, big problem in our culture. Now, is it true that we live in a first world culture with all kinds of blessings? Of course. Is it true that our standard of living is fairly easy and comfortable? Of course. Is it true that we could go to other countries and you'd see, or other places, and you'd see people dealing with real problems? Of course. Um, But that really doesn't matter. This is a real problem in our culture. Anxiety is a real issue. Uh, We are deeply anxious people living in a deeply anxious time. And that's the situation. So what are we supposed to do about it? Well, it wasn't that long ago, and you know this, it wasn't that long ago that anytime somebody was struggling with their mental health, the thing that they felt like they were supposed to do was cover it up. Because in the secular world, you didn't want to be thought of as crazy. And in the church world, you didn't want to be thought of as like you had a lack of faith. And so people would struggle with issues like anxiety in silence and alone. But thankfully, in recent years, and I think even particularly the past five or ten years, mental health struggles have become way less of a taboo topic. People are talking about these things, sharing their stories, looking for counseling, getting help, and this is a really good thing. So today, we're going to talk about a specific kind of help. Today, we're going to talk about bringing our anxiety to Jesus. I don't know if you ever think about Jesus this way, but it's true to say that Jesus had mental health issues. You ever think of Jesus that way? It is true to say that Jesus struggled with anxiety. That's true. That doesn't mean that like throughout Jesus' whole life and ministry, he didn't know where he was, he had recurring mental health things. He, but the night before Jesus died, even just look only at the Garden of Gethsemane and the things that Jesus went through in that garden, it is clear that Jesus was being tormented by mental struggles, and particularly the struggle of anxiety. All the symptoms were there. Um, he had anxious thoughts swirling through his head. He, he didn't want to be alone. Uh, It was worst-case scenario spinning out of control. It was even an extreme physical or physiological response that happened to Jesus in the garden, which we'll talk about. But as we look at Jesus, even just in the Garden of Gethsemane, we begin to realize that he relates to our mental health struggles far better than we even know. So, let's get into our text with that uh, introduction. Last week, we talked about the Last Supper, right? Jesus is having supper with his disciples, and he's warning Judas because he knows Judas is getting ready to betray him. And so now we move to after supper, when Jesus and his disciples have gone out into the night. Jesus at this time is very aware of what the next 24 hours are going to bring. His disciples, on the other hand, seem to be somewhat oblivious. It says, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. In fact, he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. You catch all those details. Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled. In fact, his soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. 
Jesus is so overwhelmed, he doesn't want to be alone. So he brings his 12 disciples into the garden, and then when he goes over into like his private spot to pray, he doesn't even want to be alone there, so he brings his three disciples to be right near him while he prays. And he says, stay here and keep watch. I just don't want to be alone right now. Jesus is struggling with anxiety. And as we hear more of his words, we begin to hone in on what the source of that anxiety was. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that, if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. What exactly is Jesus so anxious about? He's not just worried about normal life problems, and he's not just stuck imagining worst-case scenarios. Jesus' problem is that within a few short hours, his life is going to become the truly worst-case scenario. Not only will he be betrayed, not only will he be arrested, not only will he be crucified, but on the cross he is going to experience God's spiritual punishment for all the sins of the world. This is what Jesus is anxious about. He's anxious because he's going to suffer hell. These verses take place at maybe like 10 p.m. Jesus is out in the garden with his disciples. In less than an hour, Jesus is going to be arrested. In less than 12 hours, he's going to be hanging from the cross. After six hours of suffering on the cross, Jesus is going to open his mouth and he's going to let out that famous cry, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's a rhetorical question. Because as Jesus hangs on the cross, he knows exactly why his Father has forsaken him. It's because all the sins of the world have been placed upon his shoulders. And with all those sins comes an eternity's worth of suffering. An eternity's worth of separation from God. An eternity's worth of hell. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is what's coming, and Jesus knows it. Uh, this week, one of my kids asked me an interesting question. My kids ask me a lot of interesting questions, but here was, here was an interesting question from this week. The question was, Zeta, would you rather have one really bad thing happen to you in your life, or would you rather have a bunch of little bad things happen to you in your life? It's a good question. I had to think about that one. I'm still not sure exactly what my answer would be, but I did have a follow-up question, and my follow-up question was this. If it's going to be the one big bad thing in my life, do I have to know about it ahead of time? Or could it come as a surprise? Because I think that it would be hard to enjoy any of my life if I knew that I had this enormous piece of suffering looming over me at the end. Like, I would rather just not know about it until it happens. And as I'm thinking these things through, I start to realize, I wonder how Jesus is able to enjoy his life at all. Because Right from the beginning, this is what was hanging over his head. He had come to earth for a specific purpose. He was going to pay for our sins and our wrongdoings in his own blood, with his own life, with his own soul. And now he's just a few hours away from doing it. And so as he lies on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's contemplating the true magnitude about what is going to happen to him tomorrow. And Jesus' anxiety in the garden is so intense 
that as anxiety sometimes does, it produces a physical, a physiological reaction. One of the gospel writers happens to be a doctor, right? His name is Luke. He's always giving us a little more medical details than the other gospel writers give us. And so Luke tells us that in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's not a metaphor. That is a recognized medical condition. And a name for it is hematidrosis, in case you're wondering. Uh, it's a very, very rare condition, but the places that it has been observed is typically prisoners of war who are about to be executed or who are about to be tortured. And here's how a doctor describes this condition. He says, The capillary blood vessels that feed the sweat glands rupture, causing them to exude blood. What's happening is that severe mental anxiety activates the sympathetic nervous system to invoke a massive fight-or-flight response. In other words, you're so stressed, your body doesn't know what to do, so it just sweats blood. Man, if you're ever worried about things that are happening in your life, if you're ever worried about things that could happen in your life, if you're ever so anxious that it's made you physically sick or giving you a panic attack, man, Jesus can relate to that. He had anxiety so so extreme that it made him literally drop, literally sweat drops of blood. Jesus understands anxiety. In fact, in some ways, I think he understands it better than we ever will. Because while our anxiety tends to focus on things that aren't currently happening and maybe never will happen, Jesus knew with painful certainty exactly what was going to happen to him. And yet he was willing to go through with it anyway. One of the ways that people uh, tend to express their love for each other is by listing sacrifices that they would make for each other. And uh, one great example of this is a Bruno Mars song that's now 14 years ago. Hard to believe what that is. The song is called Grenade. And in the refrain of that song, Bruno Mars lists all kinds of extreme things that he would do for his true love. I'd catch a grenade for you. I'd throw my hand on a blade for you. I would jump in front of a train for you. I would die for you, baby. But you won't do the same. A little bit cheesy, a little bit dramatic, but... But there is some truth there that this is a feeling that you have when you love someone. How do you express that love? Is What would I do for them? This is how you feel on the day you get married. Uh, this is how you feel on the day that you hold your firstborn child. I would, do, I would do anything for you. I would do anything. And brothers and sisters, that's how Jesus feels about you. He would do anything for you. He did do anything for you. Here at Gethsemane, the night before his death, Jesus soberly calculates the cost that it's going to take to have you be in heaven with him forever. He's going to have to suffer eternal punishment for all of your sins. And Jesus decides that you're worth it. And so we learn a lot about Jesus from the Garden of Gethsemane. He's not even on the cross yet, and we learn a lot about how much he loves us. We also learn a lot about the correct way to handle anxiety. It's probably important to say this at least one time this morning and to say it very clearly. It is not wrong to experience anxiety. 
there's nothing wrong with experiencing anxiety. But sometimes the ways that we respond to our anxieties are wrong. Uh, like we cover it up and pretend it's not happening. Then we get irritated, and so we start to take out our anxiety on the people around us. Then we start to numb ourselves with coping mechanisms that don't help us and make it worse. Or how about this one? Maybe we see anxiety in others, and we shrink back and we step away from them because we have enough problems of our own to worry about. Just like Jesus' disciples in the garden, he specifically asked them, and especially the three of them, to stay with him and keep watch. And they're just tired, and they have their own needs, and they fall asleep on their prayer. We can relate to that too. And so the result of, of our flawed ways of dealing with anxiety is that way too often we get left, or other people get left, kind of sitting alone in the dark like Jesus with anxious thoughts swirling and with loneliness. And Jesus knows this is not how you deal with anxiety. Jesus knows that man was not created to be alone. And so he seeks out the companionship of his disciples flawed as they are, and even though they let him down. But then, more importantly, Jesus seeks the companionship of his Father in heaven. He prays. He pours out his soul. He casts his anxiety upon his heavenly Father. And Jesus comes away from that feeling relieved and refocused. So here's why It's important for us to see how Jesus is responding to anxiety. There's basically two reasons why it's so important to think this through. One of them is because Jesus is our substitute. Right? So Jesus dealt with his anxiety in a perfect and sin-free way. And just like the rest of Jesus' life, when God looks at you through faith in Jesus, he doesn't see any of your sins and flaws. He sees Jesus' perfection. So your flawed history and my flawed history of the ways that we deal with our anxiety has been forgiven and covered. And your flawed history and my flawed history of helping other people or not helping other people who are anxious, that also has been forgiven and covered. We have a substitute. We have a replacement. We have a savior. But the second reason why this is important is because Jesus is showing us a better way. He has surrounded us with friends who not only love us, but with many friends who share our faith, who share our eternal worldview. Let's support each other, especially when the going is the toughest. And then because we're flawed in our ability to help each other, Jesus has also connected us with a Heavenly Father who will do absolutely anything to lead us safely home to heaven. So let's lean on his support most of all. Instead of carrying our burdens alone, let's work together to lay them at the feet of a God who knows what anxiety is like and who has promised one day to deliver us from anxiety forever. Facts over fear. Have you heard that statement? It's not, uh, it has nothing to do with COVID. That's a different, similar statement. Um, I actually Googled this statement, and there's like a Muslim apologetics website called Facts Over Fear. Like, this statement is used for a lot of different things. Um, but the context that I'm bringing, up, bringing it up today is with counselors. This is a phrase that counselors use very frequently as they deal with people who are spiraling into anxiety. The idea is, if you've got these thoughts 
swirling through your head and you've got these feelings that you can't control and these anxieties that are all over you, whether it's real things or imagined things, uh, what you want to do is you want to ground yourself, move away from all these, these feelings and these fears and move to things that you know are true. And to even say out loud in the middle of an anxiety attack, here are some things that are true. You are here right now. No one is hurting you right now. Your life is important. This moment that you're in is going to pass. You could just say it over and over. I'm here right now. I'm not being hurt right now. My life is important. This moment is going to pass. And you drown yourself into focusing on facts over fears. That's a great counseling technique for somebody whose anxiety is swirling. But as a Christian, you could add more facts to this list, couldn't you? You could say things like, God loves me. That's a fact. I have been baptized and become a child of God. That's a fact. God sent me a Savior who felt anxiety and who later suffered hell in my place. That's a fact. Jesus rose from the dead. That's a fact. And Jesus says he's going to come back again one day and take me to heaven. That also is a fact. So when our anxiety is swirling, we turn to God's promises. And there are things that we know are true. And the facts of the gospel overcome our fears. Odds are, for many, if not most of you, have dealt with anxiety issues in the past. Odds are, many if not most of you are going to deal with anxiety issues in the future. Anxiety is part of life in a sin-broken world. But brothers and sisters, we get to go through our anxiety with a Savior who understands it from his own personal experience and who has promised that he will deliver us safely through the other side. Praise God for a Savior who understands anxiety and has overcome it for us. Amen. And now the peace of God which passes all understanding and keep your hearts and your minds through faith in Christ Jesus your Savior. Amen.